At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Well, let's continue in worship, opening the scriptures. If you have a Bible and want to follow along, we are once more in the Gospel of Matthew. Over the last couple of months, we've been in chapters 24 and 25, going through what we call the Olivet Discourse, Jesus' last teaching session with his disciples before he was later betrayed in chapter 26 and then arrested and then crucified in chapter 27. We looked at that passage on Good Friday just a couple of days ago. This morning, we're continuing in Matthew's gospel with the events that took place after Saturday, Matthew chapter 28, 1 through 10, and we pick up the narrative that flowed out of Friday night's events. Jesus is crucified, preparation begins to be made for his burial, and he eventually is sealed in the tomb of a man named Joseph of Arimathea. And then Sunday morning, the new week begins, and that's where Matthew picks up the story. So let's read these words, Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on the stone. The angel's appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of the angel, the Roman guards there trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women visiting the tomb, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples that Jesus has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So the women departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell Jesus' disciples. And behold, Jesus met them, the women, and said, Greetings. And the women came up and took hold of Jesus' feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to the women, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The women are there at Jesus' death. They witness his execution and the scathing treatment he receives. They hear Jesus' last attempts to heave air into his lungs as he hangs. And after Jesus breathed his last on the cross, the women experience these apocalyptic events as the earth quakes, rock 
splits, the dead are raised. The women are there at Jesus' burial. After Joseph of Arimathea seals the burial chamber, there sits Mary Magdalene and the other Mary opposite from the tomb, gazing at the place where their master lies lifeless. And the women are there at Jesus' resurrection. So the scene shifts twice more, and it's Sunday, and just as light breaks through on the new week at dawn, the women arrive to see Jesus' tomb. And again, the earth quakes, and it's as if this powerful shaking is an overture to the arrival of the angel of the Lord. This magnificent figure descends from heaven, rolls away the stone, and then takes for himself this triumphant posture sitting on top of the stone. His appearance is like lightning, and his clothing is as white as snow. And the Roman soldiers guarding the tomb, they're so freaked out, they fall over as though dead. They're so shaken up, they faint from fear. And then the Lord's messenger speaks to the women. Do not fear. I know you seek Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here as he said he would be. He's risen from the dead. Come, look, see where they laid him. And then go tell his disciples what you've seen and go to Galilee where they too will see him. So naturally the women hurry off with fear and great joy and behold, Jesus appears to them. Jesus greets them and the women fall, grabbing his feet, ascribing to Jesus worship. And then Jesus speaks. Do not fear, but go and tell my brothers what you've seen and tell them to go to Galilee where they too will see me. So what is this passage of scripture teaching us? Why has Matthew included this Easter morning episode in his epic gospel? Obviously, he's included it to record the historical events related to the resurrection of Christ, but what's the significance of this scene? Well, here's what I want us to see. Three results of the resurrection. Three things the resurrection accomplishes. First, Jesus' resurrection brings about God's new creation. Jesus' resurrection brings about God's new creation. So the great action of God in this story is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The Messiah suffered the shameful and deadly penalty of sin that we deserved, but God in his faithfulness raises him. God breaks the grip of death over him. And so for nearly 2,000 years, disciples of Jesus have gathered to confess just as the angel put it, he has risen. And here we all are, all these years later, commemorating this central truth of the faith. And Matthew especially wants to emphasize the way Jesus' resurrection 
brings about God's new creation. And Matthew does this by insisting that the resurrection takes place on the first day of the week. So you remember that Matthew sets the scene for these resurrection events there in verse 1. He said, now after the Sabbath, on the dawn of the first day of the week. So in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God kicks off creation on the first day of the week, day one. He speaks, let there be light. And so too, God's work of recreation starts on Sunday, on the first day of the week. In the beginning, the creation led to sin and subsequently death. But in this new beginning, in this new creation's week, since power is broken and death dies through the resurrection of Jesus. This is the gospel, friends. This is the good news of Christianity, that God has not left our world to be sunk in our misery and rebellion, but God has worked to redeem a world of sinners and a new world for sinners through the resurrection of Jesus. Upon Jesus rising, God is kicking off his new creation work and to treasure and be changed by this gospel, by this message is the essence of being a Christian. So do you treasure this gospel? Do you trust this good news that Jesus' resurrection brings about God's new creation? And it's worth noting what Jesus' resurrected, glorified body is like. Because we tend to think of heaven as being inhabited by Casper the ghost-like immaterial figures who fly around and play harps. But that's not what Jesus' body is like here. Matthew says the women grip his feet. So they aren't touching a ghost-like figure. No, this is the regenerated glorified physical body of the Lord Jesus. They can grab him. This new creation, therefore, is just as physical as the old one, minus the effects of sin, minus cancer, minus autism, minus Alzheimer's, minus hate and strife and adultery. Oh, for the day when the Lord's creation-renewing work comes in its fullness. This is why it's so important when the angels say, come, look where he was laid. He is not here. His corpse is gone. His rotting flesh, his physical body is gone because it's his physical body that's resurrected, that's restored. And so too it will be in the new heavens and the new earth, as the apostle John refers to it in the book of Revelation. Jesus' resurrection brings about God's new creation. This truth teaches us that God's salvation is global in scope. You know, it's certainly true that we need God to save us from the guilt of our personal sin, but we also need God to save us from the brokenness in our world. Not only are our individual lives impacted by the power of sin, but our whole world has been 
infected by the curse of sin. This last year has made it painfully clear, hasn't it? A global pandemic, political strife, cultural unrest. Without question, we need to be redeemed from sin's power over our individual lives And without question, our world needs to be renewed from the effects of sin's curse. And Jesus' resurrection starts that renewing work. Jesus' resurrection signifies that there will be a day when it is on earth as it is in heaven. But who is this new creation going to benefit? Who are those destined with Christ to receive glorified bodies in the redeemed cosmos. Well, the second result of the resurrection is Jesus' resurrection brings about triumph for the weak over the strong. Jesus' resurrection brings about triumph for the weak over the strong. This is the powerful irony that plays out in the Gospels. The strong, the ones who seem to be in control, the powerful, the ones who seem the obvious favorite, whether it's because they have money or religious prestige or political strongholds, these are overcome by the weak, by the outcast, by the marginalized. And Matthew communicates this truth in several ways. First, It's the strong, strapping soldiers who fall as though dead while the dead man rises from the grave. So it doesn't get much easier than this for a soldier. Okay, guys, here's your orders. Keep a dead guy dead in his tomb. But it doesn't happen. Instead, they fall as though dead and the weak triumph over the strong. Secondly, think, too, how the soldiers faint from terror in the presence of the angel, and the women keep it together. They listen and respond to the Lord's messenger, and the weak shame the strong. And speaking of the women, a third example of this, where are the 12 disciples? Where are Peter, James, John, and the rest These men to whom Jesus gave the keys of the kingdom in Matthew 16, these are the great apostles of whom Paul would later say are the foundation of the church, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. These men, as great as they would become, have gutlessly fled while the women disciples courageously endure. Matthew records the women being present at Jesus' death, chapter 27, verse 55, his burial, chapter 27, verse 61, and now in this passage, his resurrection. At all three stages of Jesus' passion, his death, burial, and resurrection, the women are there, and the apostles, the leaders, they're cowards. So once again, in these striking ways, the weak triumph over the strong. Earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is asked by the 12 disciples, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus calls a child 
to come before them and stand in their midst. And Jesus said to them, unless you become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what is it about being a child that correlates with entering the kingdom of heaven? A few months ago in December, my wife gave birth to our fourth child, our daughter Sage, and by the time Sage was born, it had been five years since we'd had a baby because our next oldest child is five. So I had kind of forgotten how fragile and how delicate babies are. I mean, she's like pure cartilage, so mushy and soft, barely any bones, barely any muscles. And she's just getting to the point where she tries to lift her head, you know, and she's fighting, struggling just to hold her head up straight. She's just that weak. And I want to show you a picture of her, not because I want to show off how cute she is, though I am blown away at, at how cute she is. My point is to reinforce that this is her only defense mechanism, her cuteness. She's got no physical strength. She's not able to use any weapons to defend herself. If an enemy came after her, the only thing that could stop them is her cuteness. And the same is true for all children. They're weak. They're vulnerable. They're dependent. And the same is true with the soldiers compared to Jesus and the women compared to the soldiers and the women compared to the apostles. They're weak. They're not the obvious choice to prove victorious, but Matthew is telling us that's exactly the case. Jesus' resurrection brings about God's new creation where the weak triumph over the strong. You may have heard it said before that religion is for weak people. Religion is a crutch for weak people. And there's a sense in which that's exactly true. Matthew here is commending those who have abandoned all sense of self-sufficiency and humbly depended upon the mercy of God. And what does this humble dependence look like? Well, the way it does for these women is that they fall at Jesus' feet and worship him. And so I urge you, embrace your weakness. Realize your frailty. Realize that any amount of worldly or even religious stature that you accumulate is ultimately going to fail you. Like a child, rest in the promises of God's word. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever is first will be last, and the last will be first. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit these earth. Like these women, desperately cling to Jesus and prize him above all else. Jesus' resurrection brings about God's new creation. Jesus' resurrection brings about triumph for the weak 
over the strong. And finally, his resurrection brings about fearlessness in the face of death. Jesus' resurrection brings about fearlessness in the face of death. So Matthew provides emphasis for this truth in that each time the women are addressed, they hear the words, do not fear. After they had witnessed Jesus' slaughter, they then came to the tomb of their Lord. And so naturally, there's a mixture of sorrow and uncertainty and distress that we can call fear. But the angel and then Jesus appear to them and say, do not fear. Do not be afraid. But how? How in the midst of grieving the loss of their loved ones can they legitimately say, do not fear? Because if there's not a legitimate reason for them to say that, then it's actually quite rude and mean to say that kind of thing. So several summers ago, my family spent a lot of time in Murray, Kentucky. My grandparents lived there, and my grandfather at the time was pushing 90 years old, and his health was declining rapidly. So my parents rented a hospital bed for his house so that he could stay home, and we kept hearing from the nurses. It's only a matter of months. It's only a matter of weeks. It's only a matter of days. And so we tried to visit him as much as possible. Now imagine we're there in the house, my granddad by that point was speechless, almost mindless, of course stuck in bed. And imagine then a visitor comes over and shares with the family, don't be afraid, it's okay. Everybody be relieved. We would have looked at that person with disgust. What are you talking about, don't be afraid? What planet are you from? Are you so shallow? Are you so spaced out that you can't sense the weight of this situation? That things are terrible and scary? And in fact, no one was so shallow. The people who visited us said things like, I'm sorry. I'm grieving with you. I miss Leroy too. So how can the angel then say, don't be afraid? Well, listen again to his report to the women. Verse five and six. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here, for he has risen. And how could Jesus stand before these women and say, do not fear. It's because the one they sought, the one they came to visit, stood resurrected before him. That's why God's people can face death fearlessly. That's why they can say, do not be afraid, because Jesus is risen. And friends, if that's not true, then their admonition not to fear is so trite. It's so wishy-washy. It's so pie in the sky. Because we all instinctively know death is bad. Cancer is bad. Car wrecks are bad. It's not right. It's not the way things were meant to be. And so we fight for life. 
We long to live. We invest in medical research. We pay for surgeries to hold our bodies together. We diet right. We exercise. We put ourselves through sometimes rigorous religious exercises to appease whatever God might be out there because we know death stinks. It's evil. It's awful. We want to resist it. So don't tell us it's okay. Don't fear. Don't tell us that. Unless, unless you've got some really good news to tell us, unless God has acted in history to undo the curse of sin, unless Jesus claimed that he would rise on the third day came to pass. Friends, this is the gospel that we celebrate today. This is as simply as I can put it. This is the gospel we celebrate today. That Jesus lived the life that you and I should have lived. A life of righteousness, a life of joy, a life of strength, a life of love. Jesus lived the life you and I should have lived. And then Jesus died the death that you and I deserved. On the cross, he paid the penalty for sin that you and I deserve. He died as a lamb without blemish, as a perfect sacrifice. Jesus died the death that you and I deserved. And then he rose from the grave that we too might rise with him in new life in the end. That is the gospel, friends. Jesus lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And then he rose from the grave so that we too might share in his new life. And so I call on you. Like these women, shamelessly humble yourself before him. Get on your face before him. Grab his feet in worship. Get that humble. Get that low. Get that desperate. Humble yourself before the risen Christ. Acknowledge that you are weak. That all the money you make, that all the religious exercise, that all the things you accumulate to try to make it look like you're not weak, it's all fig leaves. God sees straight through it. We are weak. Acknowledge it before him. And trust in Jesus. Trust in the life he lived on your behalf. Trust in the death he died on your behalf. And trust in his resurrection on your behalf. And because you trust that he is not here, for he has risen, face death without fear. Do not fear for he has risen. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father in heaven, we come before you this morning. And even though it is Easter, even though it is Resurrection Sunday, we are all painfully, deeply aware of the specter of death that haunts each one of our lives. We all know it's coming for us, and we all know deep down we deserve it. We have broken your law. 
We have worshiped false gods. We are not worthy of your gracious, saving presence. And so, God, it is good news of great joy that Christ has come, he's lived, he's died, and he's risen. God, we are grateful that the darkness of Friday evening is past and the light of Sunday morning has come, that the new week and the new creation has been inaugurated through the resurrection of Christ. Father, I pray that you would fill us with your life-giving spirit, that we too could walk in newness of life, acknowledging our weakness and dependence upon you, but also moving into the world with strength, with courage, with boldness, looking even death in the face without fear. So come near and fill us now with your Holy Spirit as we continue to celebrate and remember the gift of Jesus and his resurrection from the grave. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.